Today's sermon, I am extremely um, excited to preach this sermon today. And here's why. Over the last couple of weeks, as I've thought about it and processed through it and was praying about it and just reading different things, it's one of those sermons where I kept just getting... Not just the sermon, the topic, what I was looking at and reading and processing and thinking about myself. I would just get extremely excited about it. Um, and, and I was kind of nervous about the sermon in this sense. Have any of you ever talked to uh, uh, someone, like normally it's a kid, but sometimes it's an adult. But have you ever talked to a kid when they're extremely excited about something and they try to tell you and they're like all over the place? And you're trying to keep up with them and, and you're just like, okay, I'm tracking. You're happy about something, but I don't know what it is, Right? Um, that's what I felt like when I was going through my notes and kind of putting all this together because I kept thinking of all these different things that I was extremely excited about for myself and what it meant for me. And I was like, oh, I want to talk about that and talk about that. And I got really concerned because I'm like, God, when I get up there, please don't let me sound like my daughters. When you sound, but don't, you know, when they try to say something to me and I have no clue what they're talking about, but I just know they're happy and excited about it. So I really hope that this flows well today uh, and, and get across what God has just been showing me and making me excited about for my own faith and for my own relationship with him um, and that you walk out of here blessed today as we go through this. So uh, I want to start with sharing something, an actual quote that I came across that, you know, I've heard it said in different ways, but this kind of made me stop and, and just pause and say, that, that's, that's extremely interesting. And it simply said this, my view of Jesus in this life affects the way I engage him with my life. As, as I was processing and, and, and studying some different things, I came across this, and again, it just made me stop and like, wow, that is so true. How I choose to see Jesus truly does impact and affect how I choose to live for Jesus. And, and I never you know, took the time to really process that as deep as I have over, like I said, the last couple of weeks and like asking myself, okay, David, how do I see Jesus? And, and I was struck with this thought as we were even singing this morning because we were singing, you know, what a wonderful name it is, what a powerful name it is. And then, you know, the, when we got to the bridge of that song and the praise team that, they, you know, and other people that are part of the praise team were like here when we practice, like to give me a hard time sometimes because I like the bridges a lot. Like I'm always like, let's do the bridge again um, because the bridges are some amazing parts of the songs. But I was standing over there and as we're singing and we get to this part of like, you have no rival. And I just sat there and I'm like, oh my goodness. Is that the way I see my Jesus? You have no rival. You have no equal. And then, and then we got to that bridge where it's talking about like death could not hold you. The, the veil tore before you. And I'm sitting there like, in my head I'm having this image of, of you know, I'm thinking about this and I made death into a person. And again, weird thoughts. But I, I, I visualize this like, here's Jesus dead in the, in the tomb. And, and I, I picture death as this like huge bulking figure trying to hold him down. And Jesus like, get off. Right, just back off. Like, and just, you know, it's kind of thinking about it, it's like, how do I see my Jesus? Because how we see Jesus will affect how we engage Him in this life. So, my question for us, and this is the question I had for me, was, how powerful is your Jesus? And when you think about Jesus, and you think about Jesus in your life, how powerful is Jesus to you in your life? 
And the reason I ask the question is because I think there's a lot of times that I, I fall into this. I fall into this trap of finding all the things that I can't do, right? Like I think about what God wants from me or I think about the changes he wants to do. And I always start with this, I can't. I can't overcome this sin. I can't overcome this attitude. I can't do it any different. This is just who I am. The problem is I'm focusing on all the things I can't do instead of actually looking at how powerful is my Jesus, and I think we fall into that trap many times when we, when we look at our own Christian life. We focus on all, all, all of our limitations. But my question for us this morning is, is your Jesus also limited in how you choose to see him and understand him and view him? See, because if Jesus, so here's the thing, if my view of Jesus is limited, if Jesus to me is limited... And that affects how I engage him in life, then that's going to make my life, my, my, my life with him, the work he does in me, it's going to limit that also. You see, but if I see Jesus, if I view Jesus as all powerful, and that his presence, and this is his life, like my life is his life. The life I live in the flesh is not my own, but it's Jesus living in me and through me. If I view Jesus as all-powerful, hear me now, that doesn't mean I'm all-powerful. But that means he can do whatever he wants with this life. So the question is, is how do we view Jesus? How powerful is Jesus. See, and my view of Jesus is also going to affect my commitment to him in this life. So here's what I want to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 4. Um, again, we're going to look at, you know, big overview of, of a section of scripture here in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, we're not going to pull out a lot of anything on, on the slides for this, so hopefully you have your Bibles and you can kind of follow this and see where I'm at. Um, but again, we're not going to look at this like verse by verse or nothing like that, but I want you to see this in sections. So there's this amazing thing that takes place at the end of chapter 4 in Mark. Okay, so when we come to the end of chapter 4 in Mark, and then all the way through chapter 5, something really amazing happens in this section of Scripture that, that shows us or it should challenge us on how we view Jesus. Okay, so there's four things that happen in this section of Scripture. So you have the end of chapter 4, starting at verse 35, and then all the way through chapter 5. So here's the first thing that happens. Jesus is there with his disciples. He's on the boat. They get on the boat. And we probably have heard these stories before. Jesus gets on the boat with the disciples and they start going across the water. Storm comes. The disciples are afraid they're going to die. They come and they wake up Jesus. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. They come and wake him up and they're basically say to him, do you not care that we are going to drown? They're basically questioning him and his goodness and, and whether he even cares for them. And Jesus gets up and looks at the waters and says, quiet, be still. And the storm ends instantly. That, that's moment number one. Jesus quiets the storm. The next thing is it starts in chapter 5. They come and they get to where they're going and, and Jesus gets off the boat and a demon-possessed man comes and, and he starts having this, this you know, interaction with Jesus and not to go into detail with it, but he comes and, and the demons inside of the man, they see Jesus and, and they beg him, don't cast us away, but let us go into this herd of pigs that are over here. 
And Jesus says, fine, you can do that. And he casts them into this herd of pigs. And the Bible tells us that after they were cast into the herd, they stampede the herd into the water and they drowned. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus is interacting with the spirits that are in this man, the spirits say that we are not just one demon, we are legion. And, and this word is the military, it's a military word. We're talking potentially thousands of demons were in this one man. In fact, the Bible tells us that when Jesus cast them into the herd, the herd numbered about 2,000, and then the herd then drowned themselves. So the Bible might even be giving the number to us itself, that there was 2,000 demons in this one man, and Jesus is like, get out. And sends them into this herd. That's the second thing that happens. The third thing that happens is Jesus then is continuing. And, and he's continuing to interact with people. And all of a sudden this religious leader comes to him. Jairus comes to him and he says, come with me, my daughter is dying. I need you to come and I need you to heal her, so come with me. And in this one instance, Jesus is walking around, two things actually happen. So this is the story, many of us have probably heard it, is Jesus is walking through the crowd and he's heading to the home to heal this young girl. There is a woman in the crowd that has been suffering for 12 years with this medical condition that made her unclean and unworthy. Now here's the thing, this condition that she had, this literally ostracized her from everybody. She could not do anything in temple worship. She could not be involved with any person. She couldn't have any contact with anybody because of the rules and the ceremonial cleaning and and, and the fact that she was unclean. This is a woman for 12 years had been in complete isolation. Cast aside by all of society. And the Bible tells us as Jesus is walking through the crowd, she says to herself, if I just touch his cloak, if I just can touch the hem of his garment, maybe that can heal me. And she pushes her way through the crowd and she grabs Jesus. And the Bible tells us that instantly Jesus feels power has gone from him. And he stops and he turns and he says, who touched me? Now, I want you to get the image in your head of what's happening here. I don't want to go into great detail because this isn't the core of the the sermon, but just picture this because sometimes the images in our heads are interesting. Picture Jesus walking through the streets and literally thousands of people are pushing up against him. I mean, he's walking through a crowd here. The Bible tells us that because after Jesus says, who touched me, his disciples are just like, what's he talking about? There's tons of people touching him. There's people bumping against him all over the place. And the disciples are confused. What's he talking about? But Jesus is like, I know power left me. And it says the woman then realizing she knew instantly that she was healed. Man, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? This reality that she knew instantly she was healed. And out of fear, because, you know, I don't know what the fear might have been. Maybe she thought she was going to get in trouble, whatever it is. She comes forward and she says what happened. And, and, and basically she confesses that This is why I did it, and I needed to be healed. And here's the beautiful thing about it that we can miss. This is a woman that was completely cast out of society because the idea was if you touched her, you would be unclean. Here's the deal. Jesus was so powerful, she touched him, and she became clean. According to their rules, Jesus should have been the one that was unclean. 
But here's this moment. So then Jesus interacts with her, and then here's the last thing that happens in this section of Scripture. You have Jesus then prepares to keep going, and then somebody from the house comes and says, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Oh, you shouldn't have stopped Jesus and found out who did it. You missed your opportunity. And, and every, the sadness that probably happened with here, and Jesus looks at him, and he looks at Jairus, and he's, he's basically, listen, he says these words. This is the, the hard teaching of Jesus. And maybe you've never considered this a hard teaching. But I have always just looked at that and like, oh my goodness, this is just amazing to me. But Jesus looks at him. He just found out his daughter is dead. And Jesus, it says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't fear. Just believe. Don't fear. Just believe. And then it says Jesus kept going. And continued on to his house. And when they get there, it says that he goes in and he takes only a few of the disciples with him. And it says that the people in there were crying and wailing loudly. I mean, these people were distraught. And Jesus walks in and says, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but is just asleep. And what's interesting is these people that went from absolute despair and and are wailing and screaming and crying, the Bible tells us that after Jesus walks in and he says, listen, she's just sleeping. It's okay. They go from sadness to they have to laugh at Jesus and the foolishness of this man to come in and say such a thing. And Jesus goes up and the Bible tells us that he takes her hand and he speaks to her, simply says, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she stood up and was resurrected. Here's the thing. In this section of Scripture, starting at the end of chapter 4 and going all the way through chapter 5, I want you to see something amazing. This shows us the absolute power that Jesus has over everything. First, We see his power over creation itself. He calms the storm. Jesus has power over the entirety of creation and the world and the universe and everything that we exist in. Jesus didn't have to fight against it. He didn't have to beg it. He didn't have to ask his father. He simply wakes up, looks, and says, quiet. And it instantly obeyed him. Jesus has power over all of creation. What's interesting also about that story is that after this happens, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, do you still have no faith? He's like, if you don't have, that's to start this. And then they go over like these next couple of days and Jesus just keeps proving himself to him over and over and over again. Here's the thing. I think this is, in my opinion, this is included in the Bible this way because we start this with Jesus calming the storm and he's looking at us and he's saying, listen, how many of us are still wrestling just like the disciples? Do you still have no faith? Right? How big is your Jesus? And that's what Jesus is almost saying to the disciples. He's like, guys, how big am I to you? Like, why are you surprised that I could take care of this? Why do you still doubt that I don't have the power to do everything that I said I was going to do? Why do you doubt that I can't take care of your life? Why do you doubt that the things that I say I want to do to you and through you and for you, why do you doubt that I can't do that? 
do you still have such little faith or no faith? But then he goes on and keeps proving himself. So he proves his power over creation. The next thing Jesus does is he proves his power over the entirety of the spiritual realm by casting out 2,000 demons. Again, Jesus didn't have to fight with them. He didn't have to war with them. He didn't have to plead with them. He didn't have to do anything other than show up. And the first thing out of the demon's mouth was, please don't do this to us. They were defeated from the moment he showed up. And Jesus walks onto the scene and he has complete power over the entirety of the spiritual realm. And he shows it. By casting a legion of demons, a legion of demons out of one man in an instant. But then to keep proving himself, then Jesus comes and with the woman that is, it needs to be healed, he shows that he has complete power over the physical realm. He has power over creation. He has power over spiritual realm. He has power over everything physical with us, with everyone. He didn't even have to choose to do it. It instantly happened. She touched him. Power came out and healed her instantly. Once again, Jesus shows, I have complete power and authority over this realm of life. The Bible is actually, it's interesting because it tells us that this woman in the story, it tells us that she had spent 12 years of her life life, exhausting every possible resource to try to heal herself. It says she went to so many physicians that she spent everything she had. She went everywhere she could to try to fix it and nothing fixed it because the one person that had the power to fix it was Jesus. Right? Right? Jesus shows, I have complete authority. And then the last the way Jesus proves himself in this section of Scripture is he shows that he has power over death itself. He, he's like, listen, he's showing us that every enemy that you have, I have complete authority and power over. He's like, every aspect of life, I have complete authority and power over. And I'm going to show you how much. I'm going to show you I have authority over death itself, the very ultimate enemy that you have. And he resurrects a little girl. And once again, he didn't have to spend hours in prayer. He didn't have to spend days fasting. He didn't have to beg. He didn't have to fight. He didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was look at the girl and say, get up. Instantly, she was alive. I go back to the question, how powerful and big is your Jesus? Is the Jesus that you follow and trust, do you trust him with every aspect of life because you know he has complete authority and power over everything? See, here's the thing. It's really easy for me, and I'm going to put me in this. Don't put this on anybody else. This is me. It is really easy for me to say, yes, I believe in Jesus on that level. Of course I do. Until something happens. And then it's really easy to revert back to, oh, I don't know if Jesus can handle this. I don't know if Jesus knew this was going to happen. I didn't know if Jesus is big enough to take care of this one. I better step in and try to take care of this one. 
Because I don't know if Jesus is, is up to par on this or whatever it is. Jesus looked at them with the little girl and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. This is why this is a hard teaching for me. Because I believe people have good intentions when they do this. I've done this. So I'm not downgrading this, but I think we got it wrong sometimes. But we have this tendency sometimes as Christians when people are struggling with things, and let's say we're praying for them for something, or, or, and we look at people and we say things like, you just got to have more faith. Right? We just got to have more faith. And then maybe we're seeking God for something and, and we're, maybe we're praying for healing or we're praying for something and we'll sit there and say, we just got to have more faith. Can I tell you, I think that's actually not biblical. Because Jesus told me I only need faith the size of a mustard seed and I can move a mountain. He never said, David, you just got to get more faith. You can start with a mustard seed, but it's got to get bigger. So I get the idea that we need more. And when I, when I, I want us to all understand this, not more. See, when I hear more, I think I need more of it, right? Today, we, I don't want to talk about needing more faith. The issue is not needing more faith. The issue is we have to ask ourselves, the faith that we have, what is it actually in? Not how much of it I have, but what am I putting my faith in? That's the issue. But see, many times we think, if God would just give me more faith, if he would just give me more ability to believe or more substance of belief, you know, we can kind of look at other Christians, especially those that we feel are more mature than us, and we can say, man, I wish I had as much faith as they do. I wish I had that amount of faith. Again, it's not the amount, it's where you're placing it that's the issue. It's not the amount, it's where we're placing it that's the issue. See, in the Bible, you can find these words that are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. But sometimes it can confuse us. You can see the word faith and belief and sometimes think that maybe they are different things. Faith and belief or believe and faith, they're the exact same thing from a biblical standpoint. They can be used interchangeably. But see, I think there's some confusion sometimes for us as Christians because we don't see the difference between faith and belief. Or we think there's a difference between it. We, we create a difference between it. And I, I want to just give us an example here of, of how this works. Okay, there's different levels of this. And, and we all kind of work in different levels when it comes to faith and belief. Okay? And, and we shouldn't. There's only one thing God expects from us. Right? One. But we, we make it different levels. Okay. So, so here would be the start of belief, the way we think about it. This isn't biblical. I'm saying this is how we process things, right? So here's the thing. I can look at this and I can say, I believe that's a stool. I believe it's got four legs. I believe that it's made sturdy and its purpose is that I'm supposed to be able to set on it and it's going to hold me up, right? I believe that. I 100% believe that. But see, the problem is, is this is where many of us stop when it comes to our relationship with God. We treat God that way. We say, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a Jesus. 
I believe Jesus lived. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus rose again. I, I believe all that stuff. The problem is, that's not the belief that God expects from us. Right? But that's what we do. Of course I believe it. But that's not where belief and faith come together. That's where God wants us. Now, some of the rest of us, this is what we do. All right, that's a stool. It's meant to be set on. It's supposed to support my weight. So I'm going to put my faith in it. Right? It did what it was supposed to. Here's the problem. This still isn't what God expects from us. Because while I might be using it for its purposes and its tensions, <laughs> I'm still keeping my feet down. So I'm ready to respond if I need to respond. Oh, it's starting to go. This is how many of us approach our faith and our Christianity. Yeah, I believe in him. I'm going to trust him somewhat. Right? I'll trust him somewhat. But when it gets uncomfortable, I can take back some control. Or, or if it gets a little scary, I can, I can take back some control. I'll keep my hand on it. Or, or if he asks too much of me, I, I can, I, I'll stay connected. But, or, or if I read something in the Bible or something gets preached someday that makes me a little bit convicted or I don't agree with that or I think that's a little harsh or I don't like what the Bible's saying, yeah, I, hey, I still believe he, he's the son of God. I still believe he died. I still believe he rose again. I still believe but I'm going to keep a little control. Again, this is what most of us do. Whether you realize, I mean, this is how I spent, this is why this was exciting me over the last couple weeks, because it was like, every time God was showing me, I'm like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Because this was me, most of my, I mean, I'm, I'm still fighting with this, but this was like, man, God. I would always stand on this idea of, yes, I believe He's like, yeah, but you ain't trusting me. See, this is the faith that God expects. This is where belief and faith come together. I believe this is a stool. I believe it's supposed to support me. I'm going to use it. And now I'm 100% in. Because if this thing goes, I'm going with it. This is the faith that God expects of us. Not this half in, half out. I'll stay until it gets comfortable or uncomfortable, until it gets a little bit hard or my schedule all of a sudden doesn't work. Yeah, you know, this time of year is the busy time, so it's a little easier. I'm going to put my foot down. No, Jesus is like, listen, either you're in or you're in. You're in or you're out. Is it? Either you're going to trust me with everything. Because he said, don't be afraid, just believe. This is what we do. This is, this is fear-based Christianity. This is what this is. Fear-based Christianity. And I'm not, I struggle with this so much. Because fear-based Christianity is, I ain't got no control. Fear-based Christianity is, I don't know what you're going to ask of me. I don't know what you're going to take from me. I don't know what you're, 
I want at least, I mean, can I keep my toe down at least? Just my toe. And Jesus is like, don't live your life in fear. Just believe. Put all of your trust in me. Now, here's the thing. See, a lot of times when we hear this in the Bible and we think about our faith, we'll say things like, yes, I have faith in Jesus because we're talking about, I believe he forgave my sins. I believe that he, you know, he saved me. I believe I'm going to heaven. But there's so much more than just that. Let me ask you, are you trusting and believing Jesus for every aspect of your life today? Not just your salvation, everything. Every minute detail. Are you just believing Jesus? See, the temptation, and this is where I was wrong for so long in my own way I approached Jesus, is like, Jesus, I trust you when it comes to saving me, but I'm going to be in charge of everything else. I, I want, I, no, Jesus, I, if I, I no. I, I don't want this. I don't want you to control every aspect of my life. But here's the thing. When Jesus shows his power in these passages of Scripture, he's like, listen, this is the power that's available to you through me, but it only happens when you stop being afraid and you just believe. And we get all in. Here's the thing. That excites me. Here's the thing. In Hebrews, it tells us this. Hebrews tells us what faith is. We're not going to look at that portion, but this is what it says. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Right? Now, here's the thing. I don't want anybody to sit here right now and think that if this is you, something like this, or maybe this is you, maybe you're still over here. It's not that God's up in heaven just looking at you going, man, I am so displeased with you, you horrible person. That's not what God's attitude is for us. What he's saying is it's the same thing. Anybody that's a parent or a grandparent, you should get this. When you look at your children and they're not getting the potential of what you desire for them, it frustrates you. Like you're displeased because you're sitting there as a loving parent like, I have so much better for you than this. Would you just listen to me and do what I'm asking you to do because I want what's best for you. He's not up in heaven angry and frustrated and saying, man, why do I even deal with that person? He's displeased because you and I can fall into the trap of not experiencing the fullness of what God wants for you. So he's displeased. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. Because this is where God wants us, where he can truly use us and pour himself out and bless us beyond our wildest imaginations. It says anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Basically, let me define this. He wants me to have belief that exists, but he wants me to sincerely seek him, which means I'm all in. Sincerely, wholeheartedly, 100%, right? Not a little bit, 
And sometimes I think in the church and in Christianity, we, we have to be honest with ourselves. We haven't done a good job of saying this. Jesus was very clear with this. When anybody would come to Jesus, Jesus would be like, listen, before you follow me, count the cost. He, he didn't mince words. He's like, count the cost. He's like, nobody built a tower without first figuring out if they can finish it. Nobody goes to war without first deciding if they can win. He's like, count the cost. Ask yourself if this is what you really want. Jesus didn't mince words, but sometimes in the church we can kind of lessen a little bit, right? I know I'm guilty of that, and I grew up a lot with that mentality. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. And basically it comes down to this. Church, we are encouraged to just let go and leap into the arms of God. Let me give you another visual with this. I don't know how much moms do this, but dads definitely do, right? Dads do the, let's see how far I can get my kid to jump off this thing and trust jumping into my arms, right? I don't know how many moms do that, but as dads, I know I, well, some of you dads need to stop, you know you do it. This is like, you're right here, but then you're like, cool, let's do that again. Cool, let's do that again. And you just kind of keep backing up and see how far you can go. Um, Here's the image I want you to get in your head. Picture you, you're sitting there and God is telling you, jump, leap into my arms. Put your trust completely in me. And we're like the kid, and my kids would do this all the time. They would get there and they would do the little jerk like they're about to, like, I can't, I can't. And you're like, no, jump. And you're like, I can't, I can't. Here's the problem. Many of us, God is calling us to leap. He is crying out to you to leap. And you're sitting there saying, I can't. Here's the problem. When you say you can't to God, you're not questioning your ability to leap. You're questioning his ability to catch you. See, that's what we do. We sit there and say, I can't do this, God. And he's saying, you're not doubting yourself. You're doubting me. And that's why he said, don't be afraid. Just believe. But see, we fall into this thing where we think it's not, it's, it's God, it's not you. It's not you. It's like, no, it is me because you're not trusting me. You're not jumping into my arms. It's not a lack of faith in you. So, so here's the thing, church, is we, you know, in our own Christianity, if we say things to ourselves like, I can't overcome this sin, or I can't do this work that God wants me to do, or I can't share Jesus with the people in my life, I can't understand the Bible, whatever it is, fill in the blank of what you say you can't do for God. You're not doubting you, you're doubting him. This is something that when, when, I, when God, sh- I'm like, oh my goodness, God, I, that is, that makes so much sense. I made it all about what I thought I couldn't do instead of focusing on what you can do. And that's where Jesus is saying, don't be afraid, just believe. In, in 1 John, why does this thing stop off all of a sudden on me? Judah? You want to go to the next one? Because it's doing it to me in. In 1 John, it tells us this. This is his command for us. This is Jesus' command for us. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's it, right? That's it. Just believe. That's what God calls us to. Just believe. 
Believe in the name of Jesus, that wonderful, that beautiful, that powerful name of Jesus. Jesus, the meaning of his name is Yahweh saves. The Lord is salvation. Christ, he is the anointed one. He's the chosen one of God. We are called to simply believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is and that Jesus can do what he says he can do in every aspect of life. Church, you don't need more faith today. We just need to put all of the faith that we got into Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives. I just want to take a second. We had a lot going on, but I don't want to pass this up, and then we'll be finishing up. Go to Mark chapter 9. I just want you to skip ahead just a little bit. Mark chapter 9, and then we'll be done uh, this morning, but I want you to see this because it continues with this. In Mark chapter 9 and in, in, in verse 14, we find Jesus having another interaction with somebody that's possessed. Uh, Jesus is there. There's a father that brings his son. It brings his child. And he says, he brings it to the religious leaders. He brings them to the disciples. And he's like, heal my boy. And they can't do it. And Jesus shows up and he looks at him. He says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Again, I always read that like Jesus was angry and frustrated. I think he was frustrated, but not because he was mad. He's frustrated because he's like, man, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. And he's just frustrated about it. And they bring him to Jesus and they bring the boy to him. And this is the part that I thought was interesting. In verse 22, the father comes and Jesus says, how long has he been like this? And he says, from childhood. He's often thrown into the fire or into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus' response looks at him. He says, if I can. I mean, notice the question mark. Jesus is like, if I can. He's like, everything is possible for him who believes. This is what I want to just encourage us with before we leave today. This is how many of us approach Jesus, unfortunately. And again, I am so guilty of this. I come to Jesus and my attitude is, Jesus, if you can. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about if I can? I can do whatever I want. Would you stop with this if? Like he's challenging my mentality of how I see him. Jesus is like, what do you mean if? Jesus, heal my marriage if you, if you can. What do you mean, if I can? He's like, the question is, is if, if you'll let me. God, use me if you can. What do you mean, if I can? I can do whatever I want. I can calm the storm. I can cast out 2,000 demons. I can heal a woman without even trying. I can bring the dead back. What do you mean, if I can? So here's the thing. How do we live as people of faith? First, simply this. We earnestly seek God, meaning this. If you are struggling to believe this morning in any level, if you are struggling or you're just like, man, that's what I want. I want to trust 100%. Here's the thing. It's not about you trying harder to believe. It's about you seeking from God the grace that you need to believe. Lord Jesus, I'm seeking you because the only way I can believe in you is when you draw me to yourself so that I can believe in you. 
Church, we have to be people that earnestly seek after God because faith does not come from us. It's a gift given to us by God. Lord, help me trust you 100%. Second thing, ask him for it, right? Keep asking, 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 asking. Second thing, here's the thing. You can't desire to trust God completely unless you're willing to trust God completely. (laughs) And here's what I mean. You can't walk around saying, God, I want to trust you completely, and then still have things in your life right now that you know he's telling you, you need to trust me. But we keep, like, God, let's let's work on this one. Let's not work on that one yet. When God shows us the ways he wants us all in, man, get all in. Trust him where he's calling you to trust him right here and now. And here's the last one, and then we're done. Your attitude and my attitude has to be the same throughout this entire thing. It's all about God's glory, not ours. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, I want to tap into that power because I want to ask God for anything and everything and I want to get it. Man, you got the wrong attitude because it's not about your glory. It's not about your wants. It's not about your desires. It's all about his glory. And that has to be the desire of our hearts is, Lord Jesus, I want to glorify you. Right? We're not talking about like some name it and claim it, like you get whatever you want just because you're trusting Jesus 100%. If that was the case, I'd be a lot richer than I am, and I'd have a much bigger TV that my wife won't let me buy. <laughs> I only say that because we were just at a store the other day, and I'm like, look at the size of that one. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'd give you $5, but I'm saving up for a TV. <laughs> so here's the thing. Where are you at this morning? Are you the person that says, yeah, I believe that's a stool. I believe that's who Jesus is. Are you the person that's kind of on board? Are you the person that's 100%? Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to do it perfect. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean there's still not going to be hard times. Doesn't mean any of that. But you have made the decision, I am not going to be afraid I'm just going to believe. With every ounce of who I am, 100%, I'm going to believe. That's what we're called to as Christians. Lord Jesus, I just pray your blessing upon us this morning that you continue to guide us into truth. Lord, I encourage, the encouragement of my heart again from you is that There are so many aspects of this life that I have foolishly thought was dependent upon me, but you're showing more and more, Lord, it's not about what I can do. It's all what you're going to do through me. Lord, it's trusting that you are powerful and in control and you have the authority. My job, Lord, our job is to just believe to trust you, to follow you, to do that which you call us to do and knowing that it's not our job to make it all work. It's yours because you're the one in control. Lord, encourage us, encourage us with that. Whatever defeated part of our hearts or lives or minds right now, and Lord, there are so many that have those parts that we might not even know about. I pray an encouragement directly from the Spirit of God this morning that we hear you tell us, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. Trust me. And we know that you are good and you are perfect and you are wonderful and you are powerful. And we can trust you with everything. 
every detail of our lives can be put into your hands because we know you love us. We give you praise and we thank you. Just bless your church this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen.